0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supply, episode 338. This special program is dedicated by Daniel Shapiro in honor of his beautiful parents who always push him to grow and learn. It's also dedicated, the Nishmas Yecheve Teve Bas Avrom. We're gonna be speaking about some sensitive topics that uh, are on all our minds and hearts. So, I don't like to say viewer discretion advised, but since they'll be sensitive, I just want you to be aware of it. We'll be talking about suicide, al HaLitzlan, and related matters. But, as always, we begin with Lev Zeit with the events of this week in the Jewish calendar, the Hasidic calendar, in the Parsha Shavua, Namely, that this week is Chov, Chov Tevis and Chov Dalat Tevis. Respectively, the Yorzeit of the Rambam and of the Alter Rebbe. The correlation between the two the Rebbe has already made, especially after the years when the Rebbe instituted the study of Rambam, Tov Shemem Dalet, Achim Shal Pesach. So... Over a number of years, the Rebbe explained the relationship and the common denominators between the Rambam and the Alta Rebbe, especially considering that their Yartzeit is literally within days of each other. Both, of course, were great leaders and in challenging times, each, of course, in a different period of history. Both produced a a tremendous amount of Teira, published Teira, both in the revealed part of the Teireh and also in the more esoteric. The Rambam, of course, besides the Pirish of La Rambam and his other Sephardim, the magnum opus of Mishnah Teireh Yad chazoke, Sefer chazokeh the ha the Alter Rebbe Shulchanoruch. So though it's not esoteric in the sense of Kabbalah, though later years the Altareba teaching his children and teaching the Tzemach toward the Maiden of Uchim, the Guide for the Perplexed, for also according to primi, Ateda, but still it is a more philosophical work in contrast to Halacha. And the Alter Rebbe, of course, Baal Ateda, the Tanya, and all the hundreds and thousands of Maimorim that the Alter Rebbe delivered, published in Teda Eid, and the other svarim that were published subsequently over the years. The Maimorim of the Alter Rebbe. So the Alter name, of course, Shneir, also combines Shneir, two forms of light, the Eir of Hanigla, the Eir of The Rambam's name, Mesha, Meishe Ad Meishe, Lekom was the expression used on the Rambam of his greatness as he writes in the introduction to his Mishnah Tera, that in this Sefer, together with Tera's Mesha, Tera's Tera you have Kol HaTeder Kula up to that point, because the Rambam gathered together all the Teder Shemal the oral Torah up to his time. So both presented to the Jewish people each in their particular era, a comprehensive approach to Yiddishkeit, both in the context of Halacha and Nigla, meaning the so-called mechanics of Teder Law, as well as the inner meaning and the inner reasons, the deeper reasoning Al Tareb, of course, establishing Tshidish Chabad. So we have the Yartzite of both of these great luminaries in this week. So we know, as Al Tareb explains in the Gera Sarkadish and Tanya, that on the site, in the Stalkers of Atzadik, all his maicim and all his Aveda, all his activities and all his contributions and all his work is Eila, elevates up to its source, and then it's Nimshir below, it comes being drawn below to all people especially to the students of these individuals. And Poyal Yeshua is Beketev Haaretz. Beketev As the Rebbe explains, Beketev refers to, even in the depths, even in the abyss of Mitzrayim itself, Poyal Yeshua, it impacts Yeshua's wonders, salvations. So this explains, Yeshua comes from, Yeshua Shin Ayin Nehudin, the 370 great lights from Kesset. So from the highest levels, is drawn all the way down into the depths of our lives. And indeed, the Rambam and al Altarebbe, each in their respective time, illuminated <clears throat> the dark gulus. The Rambam was facing all kinds of challenges, as we see exhibited and expressed in his famous Haggadah's Taman, the letter to the Jews of Taman who were challenged under Muslim leadership. Many of them had no choice, and they were behaving externally as Muslims and other rabbis con- criticized them, and the Rambam wrote a famous letter explaining that Islam is not a Azara, it's monotheism, and though obviously it was a gzeda, but it's something that the Jews should not be crestfallen, they shouldn't be down by it, they should get through this gzeda until we get through it and become stronger again, and that too was a sign of tremendous Aved role of the Rambam showing and exhibiting leadership, instead of criticizing the Jews whose spirits were already broken, but showing and demonstrating how, even in the darkest moments, of course the Rambam lived through the situation. He ended up in Egypt, the periods that would lead later to the expulsion from the Jews from Egypt, from, I'm sorry, from Spain. So the Rambam was before that period, but nevertheless, the challenges that were all about are the Rambam himself. And the Altareb, of course, in his time, the Gaullus Edom, the Gaullus of Tsarist Russia, the challenges faced in the, in the poverty, the oppression, the broken spirits of the Jews as well. And with the, both Shnei Eir, the Eir of Nigla, and the Eir of Chsidis, and Al Terebish's powerful leadership demonstrating courage and hope, especially getting through the prison of Yutas, of being redeemed and liberated. And Yutas Kisil gave the Jewish people a new sense of confidence and hope to march forward through the darkest moments of Golas toward the Geula. And the Rambam, as the Reb explains, about the beginning of the Sefer, of Yad Mishnah Mishnateira. And the conclusion, beginning begins, you say this, say this, about God, and the end is that that knowledge of God will fill the entire world like the waters cover the sea. Mullah Orez Deyes Hashem, K'mayim Layam So it covers the entire gamut of law that affects all aspects of life, but with the conclusion that we'll be marched toward the ge'ula when there'll be no longer as the Rambam says, because the entire business of the world will be only to know God. Which, in the language of Chassidus, is the Gilead E'en Sof, as the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 37 in Tanya, that the whole world will be aware through the very, the flesh itself will be aware of godliness, which of course is the ultimate purpose. And the Rambam and the Rebbe both contributed in their way <coughs> toward this objective and ultimate gu'ula. So, the lesson we have from this is as when the Rebbe instituted the learning of the Rambam each day, the Takone, he specifically specified what is unique about the Rambam it's Achdus It brings all the Terah together. And when all the Jews everywhere in the world learn it, this Achdus leads to the Ga'ola. That was one of the main things that Rebbe emphasized. So our work is to absorb and to increase in our study of Rambam. And of course, our study of the Alta is Shulchan Aruch and Chsidis. When we do that, we become more connected through them to. Ratzon Hashem, what God wants of us, and fulfilling our mission in this world. So this week has this special aserotzon both at first the Rambam's yard site, and then the Al Tarebis in the coming days of this week. We're also in the week of Pasha Shemes, the second sefer of the five Chumashim. The Rambam calls the sefer Sefer HaGeula, though the Geula of Mitzrayim, the redemption from Mitzrayim from Egypt, would not happen until the middle of the third Pasha, Pasha's boy. Nevertheless, the whole Sefer is called Sefer Gula. Why? Because the whole purpose of Golas Mitzrayim leads to Geula. And as the Rebbe explains, not just leads to the Geula, it's a step toward, in, in, in Geula. That's why it's called Sefer Gulah. Then it says, b'nei yisrael. These are the names of the Jewish people who came into Mitzrayim. These are the names as they entered into Mitzrayim, and these are the names as they will leave Mitzrayim. They remained, they remained intact to designate and to signify that as they went into Mitzrayim and they came out into the ghoul, it was all part of one process. Which t- teaches us a tremendous lesson. The lesson that even when we're in the darkest of the dark, the of of Mitzrayim, we always should remember it's a stepping stone. It's not the end of the narrative. It's a chapter in the story that you read the Tzedek Khaliyah. the descent is in order to bring a greater ascent, and deeper than that, the, ascent, the descent is actually a step in the process of the ascent. So when we look at the bird's eye view of the whole picture, when the gula will come, the gula will not be an independent entity that came after Gaulus. Yes, it follows Gaulus but it will then sh- demonstrate how the whole goal is led to it. That's why gola and Goula are one word. The word gola is made up of the word gola. The, the addition will be the revelation of the aleph, the aleph of alufa Shalaylam, the master of the world, of achdus Hashem. When you, real, you reveal that in the existence and the reality of Golas, gola geula is transformed into goula. So it's not just erasing Golas. And leading to Gula, it's transforming the darkness itself. That takes that gives us a whole other take on all challenges that we face, even the darkest moments. As Khsidis explains, that the Adishin, which is the root of all darkness, Adishin, God concealing His divine presence in order to allow space for another reality, the reality of existence, to emerge. Like a brilliant teacher in the Moshav of the Alter the Balalul of Chavdalatayvis. A brilliant teacher who conceals his intelligence in order for the student to have space, and then he begins to communicate with that student. So the Tzimtsum Adishak, so this explains, is Hei That's not the desire of God to make a Tzimtsum. Tzimtsum Bishvil HaGilui. It's a means to an end. Famous mush of Rabbil Parishad that the Rebbe brings regarding the three weeks of the teacher who wants to present a tremendously new revelation to his student his beloved student. So what does he do? Since it's such a tr- a tr- an unprecedented revelation, he needs to fall silent to prepare himself. Because he can't just continue the flow that was there till now. That silence is actually the greatest demonstration of love. Because that's bringing the great revelation that will follow. But the student can misunderstand it. Because he sees silence, he feels his teacher has abandoned him. Like the father that hides from his child... In order to elicit the ingenuity of the child to find the father, but the child sometimes gives up. The famous sikh of the Rebbe to Bishvat with the tears, with the sadness, so the heart-wrenching words. When the Rebbe said, "Is the gesucht Sunday seeking his, out his father? Monday seeking out his father, and what should he do? It's not his fault. His father, in his own brilliance." Hit himself so well that the child stops looking. Why is he responsible? So, Tzimtzum has in it this dual extremes. On one hand, such darkness. But on the other hand, it's only a stepping stone toward revelation, which really explains how the whole Golis Mitzrayim, even though at the time was a tremendous Tzoris, and in many ways, how many ways it broke the backs of the Jewish people. First Gaulish, that is the root of all Gaulish. And we know it's not just a gollus, a physical gollus and exile and this location, but it was a spiritual dissonance and disconnect. And yet within it all, as the, Hashem told Yaakov Avinu, when he was going down to Mitzrayim, he says, Yorad Yorad, we'll go down, but Ola Nailah, I promise you we will also go up. And it doesn't say once Ola. Ola Nailah says the Altareb and Tere'er of this week's Parsha, the Bal Elul of this week's Parsha, that it's referring to the Aliyah for Mitzrayim and the Nailah's second Aliyah, the Aliyah, from all the Goliaths, from all darkness, that ultimately with the Gaula, hamitiz v'ashleim v'geula, nitzchis she'en acharei So on a personal microcosmic level, it teaches us that no matter what we go through, remember it's a journey toward Geula. That's why when it says, Eilam B'nei Yisrael, a mitzrayim these are the journeys of the Jews as they left Mitzrayim. But only the first journey of the 42 journeys was leaving Egypt, going to Ramses, as the as the Torah enumerates, why is it all called leaving Mitzrayim? Because all forty-two journeys to the Promised Land are all a form of leaving Mitzrayim, Mitzarim veGvulim—the limits, the inhibitions, the darkness, all the demons, all the different challenges that we face—and we're on a journey from there to the Promised Land, and ultimately, Kimeitzes Kimeres Mitzrayim, just as it was. When the Jews left Egypt, Arenu flies, This year is the year Tovshin Pei Aleph Plois Arenu, revealing wonders that you'll see and reveal the wonders, wonders even compared to the wonders that were there when they left Mitzrayim. That Mitzrayim is the root of all Goulus, all darkness, but also the root of all Goulus, including the Gula Mitzvah So the personal lesson is that whatever we go through, even though this may not be a full consolation. But it definitely we keep in mind, and it gives us at least that extra edge to forge ahead no matter what the situation, no matter what the challenge may be. So, of course, the big question is then how do you deal with it when you are in the darkness and you're in the throes and in the tentacles, being held and like trapped in the tentacles, suffocating under the tentacles of any affliction, any darkness, any form of mitzvahim? How does one hold on? So as we discussed last week, that's why Yosef asked to be buried in Mitzrayim. That's why the Jews had Moshe have the Avtoches. We don't do it alone. We're not alone. We have the promises. We have Imeyaneche sarah God is with us in the challenges, even though we don't always see it. We have Moshe and we have the promise, ultimately the promise, that we will get through this situation. And when you have that, it gives that extra edge, extra strength, as I mentioned, to dig deeper and be able to get through anything. So with that, um, I will, uh, before we go to some of the manifestations of that, let me just address one issue, which is um, the New Year's. Since we're just coming from New Year's, so dear Rabbi Jacobson, usually around this time of year, there are one of there are one or two stories that circulate where the Rebbe wished someone Happy New Year on January 1st. By all means, I do not intend to come from a place of questioning the Rebbe Chaz Roshalom. However, from my own understanding, I am seeking your thoughts on this topic. For what we've learned about January 1st and its celebrations, it seems to be associated with not just positive points of history. My initial hunch is that it would be inappropriate to acknowledge this day. I saw where the encounter, where the Rebbe shares the story of Rabbi Yitzhak of that, um and how he also acknowledges it. Is this something we are to understand or just leave as a type of Kabbalist ale thing? Okay, so there, that is the B'aditchev, the famous story, that B'gsev Amim, Yisper Hashem Yisper B'ksev Amim, that God counts B'gsev Amim, the, the, essentially the, the calendar of the, the nations, is the apostle can tell him that Rabbi Yitzhak of apply that to Happy New Year. This doesn't mean it's a mitzvah to say, but it means it was said, and the Rebbe did say it. And we've discussed this in previous episodes. I'll mention them, 195, 196, and 289. But let me go a step further to explain. I don't think it's just Kabbalah sale. The things that were not, a- not appropriate to celebrate or to recognize are things that are connected either directly to Havayi Zorah or Avizraya Israel, de Dezorah. Something that is absolutely heippochatele. New Year's, especially today, is celebrated either as the beginning of the fiscal New Year, a cultural New Year, and then the end of the day, there is the nations of the world do consider it a New Year, and there's nothing wrong with that, per se. Is it our New Year? Obviously it's not Rosh Hashanah. But since there is that element, and we do follow. If you, if you don't follow the, if you follow the rest of the calendar, I and mean, people follow the calendar, the Jewish businesses and Jewish schools, you know, we talk about January or February or March. So, if January first is no good, then the whole, all the calculations should be no good. So, so the approach is this: just like it is when we speak English or we speak other languages, there are matters that are not halacha, not opposite of halacha, that we can recognize in, this, in, in, in respect by either wishing someone a happy new year and respect the idea, and actually it elevates it by saying, take on good resolutions that are aligned with what God wants of us. The fact that things happened on, the, on the January 1st and some even associate it with December 25th is independent of this. December 25th has a particular specific association with things that according to Teter, are mamish Hepecha Teter, but January 1st, even though some associate it, has also other elements to it. And as such, therefore, it's, 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 uh, it's acceptable, and not that the Rebbe or the Levitschik B'aditchev would need our endorsement, but you can also explain it in the context of the same way the Altar Rebbe wrote in his of famous letter to Rabbi Yitzchik B'aditchev, of all people, in this context, that even the nations of the world and the ministers recognize the miracle. So there's sometimes... Something to be said when we say, for example, in Rosh Hashanah, we say Al-Medina Zboya Omar, that that's the day that the destiny of nations are determined, we do live in a world with the nations. And in areas, many areas, our our work is to elevate those nations, including their special days. Except, again, where there's, a, uh, there's an exception due to the situation, due to something that is heipechatera, or can be used in such a fashion. So that's briefly... Since I'm already cross-referencing different episodes, let me also cross-reference lessons from Shmoyz that we discussed episodes 50, 96, 146, 195, 241, and 291. And regarding Chav and previous episodes 52, 96, 97, 144, 145, 147, 194, 241, 242, 291, and 292. Why do I cross reference firstly is a good excuse to remind you that all these programs are archived at me at uh, secondly for those that want more thorough overview of all these ideas you can go there and there's much more because we've been doing this now for 7 years on online horror and we continue to do this so you can check out and there's also the place xcidusupply.com where you can submit any question anonymously as you see fit and I will address them in the right order. So that is some housekeeping as well. Okay, now. Topic we all would rather not talk about, but I will discuss it. I didn't want to talk about it last week for different reasons. This past um, Wednesday night, or this past Thursday night, I should say, I was uh, honored and humbled to be part of a program about suicide, discussion about suicide, where you can find that online. It was uh, hosted by neshamas.org, do great work in dealing with such unfortunate, sad situations. And you can, uh, if you listen to that program, there are many resources regarding this topic, this tragic and tragic, terrible topic of suicide. So, uh, as such, I uh, had many questions that have come in over the years, I would even say. So I've addressed it here and there. I try to keep it always low-key for the obvious reasons, because who wants to talk about something? But on the other hand, this whole program is about applying chassidists to our lives, and part of our lives, unfortunately, are also dealing with darker moments. So interestingly, just to give a little background, right before COVID broke, which was around March last year, March 19, 2020, uh, I was actually addressing the op topic because there was a great tragedy in Jerusalem at the time, a double suicide. And because COVID broke, there were many follow-up questions at the time, and I actually moved over to the issues at hand, which were the most dominant, the pandemic and all the related issues about schools and everything we were addressing then. So as I was looking at this topic I realized that it all goes back to those episodes approximately right before episode 300 is when things began to change March 2020 But then I also went back and found some of the questions that I actually chose not to address because they were very sensitive people writing about their own feelings though there's everything is anonymous but I just did not feel comfortable really talking about it, even though, again, I always try to talk about everything, but I feel the time has come that better to talk and address it than to completely ignore it. I did reach out to some of the people the best way I could. I didn't always have people's contact information, but in one case I did, because really raw and extremely heart-wrenching messages and notes that I received. But since we're on the topic, I'm going to try to address as much as I can on this issue, and uh, a lot of what I said till now about Shemois being that the darkest of the dark, the Mitzrayim, the demons, that are both collective, starting from the Tzimtzum addition all the way to the Tzimtzum that is in microcosm, within each one of us, that haunts people, and each one of us in a different way, and hopefully in ways that we can handle it. But uh, sadly, at times, the Tzimtzum overwhelms people, and it leads to a situation that we talk about someone taking their own life, Rechamon al So above all, let me begin by extending my prayers and blessings to any one of us, each one of us, whoever is dealing with such a situation, family member, that they should find the deep, deep strength and God should protect them to deal with how to overcome the great grief And often the guilt and other things that are associated with such a challenge. Every death is a terrible thing, but especially under these type of circumstances. And Hashem should protect all our children and all our adults, men and women, no matter what age, to be able to find the inner strength to not feel that they have to take that last step. And anyone listening here, and I know people are listening because I've seen from the letters that have contemplated this, I don't want to even call it option, have contemplated this matter. And uh, I want to say that I, and I try to speak for everyone that is listening to this, and frankly, everyone that cares, we really care and recognize that no matter how dark your moments are, you're still extremely valuable. and God wants you in this world. And we are here to help in every possible way. Know that you're not alone. You're not alone. You can reach out, you can reach out to me, through this forum, you can reach out to nishamas.org. You can reach out to the other resources. Again, I encourage you to listen to the Thursday night program. A whole bunch of resources were mentioned there, are different websites, free, anonymous resources of support. There's nothing like having a friend, there's nothing like having someone who can hold your hand. It just makes the pain a little more, a little more, a little easier to deal with. Just makes it easier to a little endure, is the word I was looking for. So don't hesitate to reach out. And there is care and there is love in every possible way to help people get through whatever situation they're in. If you're a parent or if you're a relative that sees someone at risk or you feel someone is in a place of that, do not ignore it. Reach out to them. If you're not the person, find someone that can reach. You can never imagine, you can never know the strength that comes from someone just showing that they care it could be the difference between life and death i can't state that enough this is not a guarantee obviously people have done this taken their lives in the worst possible way and we can't guarantee anything we're not guaranteeing but we have to do whatever we possibly can and there are many resources today and people talk about it today it's not so much under the carpet as it used to be it's still needs to be spoken about because people need to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and there's hope and there's help. So that's an overall introduction to this topic. Now, I'm going to read some of the letters, some of the notes that I received. And again, viewer discretion advice. some of these are pretty raw. And some are, uh, well, I'll let you judge yourself, but you'll see immediately why it's important to read if you feel that you or your children should not be listening to this. So that's why I'm uh, giving this disclaimer. And uh, here we go. So this is a follow-up to episodes, and I'll mention them all where I've already discussed this topic, even from the early, early parts of my life, all the way in the beginning. Episode 13, I've discussed it already. Then later, episode 271. Then 293 and 296. That's when I discussed it. Regarding the events that happened in Jerusalem approximately a little less than a year ago. So, here's a follow up that came from there, and then I'll read some other questions. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I was just listening to your response in episode 293 on the recent suicides and appreciate your addressing this matter. That being said, I would like to address another issue or set of issues that I think may be a contributing factor. To many, or at least some of them, is guided disillusioned youth. One painful subject is the fact that some of the educators are not only not up to par and are doing damage to our children, through unacceptable methods and lack of knowledge, they are stealing the Torah from our children. If a child, particularly a young, vulnerable teenager, away from home, for example, is not given a healthy environment where his psyche is nurtured and his emotional, psychological needs are met, in addition to, the, to his spiritual needs, there is nothing to talk about. And where we are talking about emotional or psychological abuse, how much more painful? What results from this are the carbonas that we're seeing? There are many things that could alleviate this painful situation, such as required training of some sort for all menalim and teachers. See, all faculty and teachers. Any individual to whom the care of our precious neshamus has been given should be required to attend a certain level of training in the emotional and psychological needs of children, according to the age they are working with. That's number one. Number two is something which is hard to know how to bring up, as it seems, a subject which is understood by some and not able to be comprehended by others. I will preface it with a conversation I overheard on the porch of the women's section of a shul, one Shabbos. Next to me was a group of about five to six girls who looked ages nine or ten. As they were conversing, I heard one girl pipe up, I wish I could change my last name to X or Y. Fill in a name with a big famous name in Lubavitch. It would be so much easier then. Or something like that, she went on to say, these words... or something like that. That she went on to say, these words deeply saddened me. Where does a child get this? Where does he/she come to a place where they feel second class due to a label or a last name? I will say now. I will say, okay, it's normal to have challenges and maybe covet certain things others have. Although I'm not condoning this, but this particular topic, I take issue with, as I believe that this is being created through the system, throughout the system and is contributing many cases to children who feel disregarded, alienated, and maybe of lower status just because of their lack of yichus, pedigree. I find it hard to believe with the Bali Tshuva movement that this is what the Rebbe envisioned. For one example, how do you think a child feels in a class or in a program where the ones in charge go around the class trying to place each child by who their grandparents were? It's all fine and good for certain ones, but what about the ones whose parents are or converts, who oftentimes fought and are continuing to fight for their Yiddishkeit. How do these children feel? I will say the problem is more extreme in certain certain communities, but in one community, the girls in the school were encouraged to find pictures and write about their yichus, or lack of it, to be displayed in the halls of the school. I asked, what is the point of this? In this class, in particular, was a girl who was from a very different ethnic background, Whose pictures will she she put up? Whose pictures will she put up? I understand for certain girls, their family backgrounds is noteworthy, but it should be shared in a different sensitive way to other girls as well. In a way of Avis Yisrael, along with thinking about the next person. Thank God in this instance, someone spoke up, but this is one example amongst many of the almost ethnic superiority that is stressed and oftentimes alienates children so they want to change their names, or they get older, distance themselves from a system they feel looked down on or by geja people, people who are FFBs, as they say. As one child, a lot of character expressed to a teacher who was doing their rounds and praising her parents, grandparents, etc., in front of the class. I really don't feel comfortable with you bringing this up, quote-unquote. I think there needs to be awareness of this, as although, as although people may not see what they are doing, the outcome of a child experiencing this act of comparison and not feeling they can or ever will be able to measure up or feel connected over many years can be devastating as the child may figure, I don't feel a part of this. Anyway, what's the point? I agree, what is the point of this insensitive behavior? Getting back to the painful issue of suicides, although this is an extreme, of course, there are many factors that contribute to a child resorting to this. Feeling included, accepted, and cherished in the community is definitely something that helps immunize against the terrible plague, amongst other unhealthy behaviors leading up to this. And this love is something which all children deserve. I think this is an important discussion, and I'm bringing this up as it is, something I rarely, if ever, have heard addressed by the leaders of today. That conversation I heard from these young innocent girls was a huge eye-opener for me, and is an example of the early concrete effects of these quote-unquote exclusive behaviors of our children, respectfully anonymous. P.S. In regard to changing of the system, Another point is that these rabbeim or menalim who are doing damage many, many times on top of being untrained bring their own grievances and hang-ups into the school, which obviously exacerbates the problems and incurring damage. The teachers' training courses such as... The different t- teaching training courses are definitely improving this on one front. I would also bring to the table an idea to somehow survey these children who are struggling to get to the root of the problem, problems as to why they are struggling and what or the things in their educational system that they feel need improvement. Not in terms of curriculum, but more in terms of specific examples of their personal experience that has impact on their current choices and their struggles. I feel this can be an important window, window to look into this. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and response. So look, this was, happened to be the first one that came in, so not necessarily in order of priority. Some of these points are extremely relevant. Some are not so relevant. Let's not forget when it comes to suicide, we're dealing also with mental illness issues, we're dealing with depression, we're dealing with abuse, and other factors. The statistics already show the different forces that contribute sadly and tragically. But there's no question that love and acceptance and feeling everyone feeling proud, pride, the Al Tareba's words that you're a chilik Mal Mamish. You're created with Salam lakim no matter who you are. And not allowing this type of hierarchy or criticism, or even worse in the form of bullying, has to be addressed because it's definitely a, a, be a contributing factor i wouldn't say it's the first number one factor, but it's definitely a factor that needs to be addressed beloved, in all circumstances so that's my general comment on this. You may also recall a while back, I think it's around maybe a year over over a year and a half, two years I spoke of a series of of uh, programs I dedicated to the topic of teens drowning. What should I do with my teenage friends are drowning? Which wasn't particularly around suicide but was about uh, different challenges that our teenagers have, our children have. So I want to just refer you to those programs as well, 213 through 215 and 244. Obviously it's all connected. I plan to speak about a lot more about relationships between parents and children. I don't know how much time we're going to have in this program I'm trying to cover this direct issue right now as best as possible. As you see, I'm reading full-length people's feelings because I never know who needs to hear what, and I want to give people the platform to be able to communicate. Some are a little longer than others, so I apologize if it was longer than you would expect. But still, let's address Now, the next section is even more, is raw, very raw, and I, I struggled mightily whether to address it altogether, but you know what? People wrote to me, they're waiting for a response. They probably do not want to contact me to know who, I, who they are. So I feel the responsibility, especially now, to discuss the following few questions. And this is about people writing about their own thoughts, suicidal thoughts. So again, viewer discretion advised. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I spoke to you a few years ago. I was in an arranged marriage with the worst choice anybody could have made. It was done by my indifferent brother, and a fanatical chaser of the Rebbe, whom I love with all my heart. I have decided to commit suicide in three years. Why three years? Because I'm waiting for my children to settle in their new lives. I tell you, it's hard for me to read this, I'm saying this to you, but I'm reading it nevertheless, so please bear with me. I did the ultimate sacrifice. I stayed in a terrible life because I was too poor to marry them off alone and with honor. We have always and forever had problems, but I came to a decision now. I collected pills of various strengths from my different diseases that are insurable, so I cannot cannot get a disability from them. So now, I cannot be insured for my illnesses. I am with a man who is not normal and who has indebted me for tens of thousands of dollars, who indebted me for tens of thousands of dollars and have no money for retirement. I am at the end of my life. I decided to swallow these pills with yogurt and lie down with a cup of vodka. My situation with my husband's finances got exponentially, exponentially worse. I'm regarded as somewhat of a recluse in the community since then, but I've never been a social person. I'm a shlucha. I'm the wife of a shliach. Well, this was written, obviously. Three years have not passed, and I sure hope that they are not set in stone, and I want to say this to you if you're listening to this. I would, what can I say? I would, with every ounce of strength that I have and every power of influence that I have, to try to convince you to change your position. Taking one's life is not a solution. It's an escape. I will not minimize the darkness of the darkness that you're describing here. I'm not in your shoes. I don't know what you're going through. I will never know what you're going through. But nevertheless, God put you on this earth. You have a neshama. You have a shlichus. You brought up children. They seem to be married off or being married off. They will question their blessings in your life. Yes, this is very overwhelming what you're describing, but I offer you to reach out to me personally. I would love to talk to you not I'd love in a good, positive way. I want to talk to you and share some thoughts. I'm saying this because anyone else that may be writing or thinking or contemplating, know you're not alone. And above all, there are strengths that you have you don't even know, you're you not even aware of, that you can access. And sometimes when I receive a note like this, I know it's a call for help. So let me read the next one or two, which also covered this type of issue, two more actually. These are just a few of the many that I have received. Cry for help. I feel like giving up. I'm at a total loss of what to do in my life. with my life. I just really feel like there's no point in living anymore. I don't want to be the next girl in Jerusalem to jump off a building, but right now that's the only thing that seems attainable to me. This is not the first time I've written a question. I wrote a few over the past few months and never got a response. I'm trying again, I'm in so much blank pain. Help me. Well, I apologize for not responding, but I'm responding now. And uh, I don't feel that I am the only savior in this world, and I don't feel I'm a savior altogether, but I'm gonna try to be a friend. I again invite you to contact me directly. If not myself, find someone you can trust, that you trust. And speak. There's something about speaking to someone. There's something about being heard. Someone who cares. Someone who has empathy. These things have strong impact on us. You've written to me. That tells me that there's a ray of light. That means there's a soul. There's a spark in there. You don't see any option, but you're still seeking. And I say this also to the previous writer. There's the fact that you're writing tells me there's something there. So we need now is the strength of others that can help and help you uncover deeper strengths. There's always a solution. This is what the Jewish people always knew and continue to know when we've been through the worst of the worst. There's always a solution. Thursday night I spoke about when the Jewish people were facing the sea, the Red Sea before them, and the Egyptians pursuing Egyptians behind them and they thought there was no option. They thought they either resign and surrender, or they escape into prayer, or go to war, or escape through committing suicide, through jumping into the sea. And Hashem says, Sohu, you have the strength, I've given you instructions, I've given you the strength to follow those instructions. Is it easy to do alone? No. That's why we need each other. And I say it again, if you're listening to this, please reach out to me or to anyone you see fit, And just speak. No, people may not have answers. I don't have an answer for you. I'm not going to tell you that you wave a magic wand and suddenly all the pain and the suffering and all the difficulties go away. But we find deeper strengths. We find deeper strengths. We're not looking for answers. We're looking for strengths. And when you find those strengths, you can find ways to redeem and see things through and grow through the process as well. I have seen this in my own life. I myself have dealt with many people who are at the the end of their rope, as they call it, and they're ready to do the worst possible. And yet, once they saw care and help and direction and some involvement in different activities that validated who they are, yes, there are deep demons, very dark demons, that we will never understand the darkness that is in the minds and the hearts of people who are contemplating suicide or even acted on it. But that doesn't mean we give up. We know that the light is always stronger than the darkness, and we want to get the darkness before we want to bring the light before the darkness overwhelms an individual. And finally, Hi Robbie Jacobson. I'm not sure if you will get this, but I figured I would reach out anyway. I've been listening to your weekly broadcast for the past 2 months and it has really impacted me, so thank you. Anyway, I'm not really sure how to phrase this, but I want to know if you can answer some things. Like I know we're in this world to make it a dwelling place for Hashem. And I know He needs us. And I know He loves us. And I know that everyone that, ha- every- that everything that happens is for the very best. And I know that Mashiach is going to come. But how can I feel it with the pain that I have in my life? I'm in so much pain. I feel so alone. I don't know how to do this anymore. Yes, I do see Hashem answering me with some things, but I guess it's just not it doesn't doesn't it just doesn't feel enough. I feel selfish to say it, but that's how I feel. Oh boy. I attempted suicide last week. I feel lonely. I feel Hashem sometimes, but not all the time. I'm sad. It's hard for me to reach out to people. I'm not okay right now. I don't think anyone understands the extent of my pain because I hide it so much. Do you have any advice for me? Yes, my advice for you. Again, saying that again and again, I know it sounds redundant, but nevertheless, since you're writing to me, call me. I'll give you my number. Right now, I'll say this number. Anyone can use this number if they'd like to call me. It's my personal number. No uh, no buffers. 917-496-3785. Calling me simply because you're writing to me, and that's the way for me to be able to respond to you. I can give advice here on the program. I'm doing it right now as best to my ability, but there's nothing like a personal connection. Call anyone that you trust, that you feel has some love for you, that will, res- that will listen to you. A listening ear goes a long way and the care that comes with it. So I don't have a specific advice. I don't know exactly what you're involved in. I don't know what you're doing, but remember to not see this as the end. The fact that we see things a certain way, we have a very limited vision. We have very uh, myopic vision. So don't rely, you have myopic vision, I have myopic vision, none of us see the whole picture. So why even contemplate and, fig- and think that, you know what, I have the whole picture figured out. We don't have it figured out. Be humble and accept that and recognize that and let's try to reach out to each other to try to see a little more of the picture or at least find the strength necessary to get through the narrative until Mashiach comes, as you very beautifully stated. Okay, this is a sample. As you can tell, it's not that easy for me to read. It's a very uh, heart-wrenching, very, very raw and naked of people in the darkest places. I, to be very honest, cannot put myself in these people's shoes. I mean, I try to imagine what it means, total despair and resignation, with the point that you're ready to give up the thing that is most, cher- most cherished, most precious, life itself. But yet we see it. So we cannot deny it. It breaks our hearts, and we have to do whatever we can. I feel that just reading these letters and just reacting to them and showing care is valuable. Is it, a all, is it an all-out solution for everything? Absolutely not. Let's not be naive. But at the same time, it's valuable because we need to talk. We can't just escape. We can't just avoid this because it's uncomfortable. And that's what I wanted to do. In this program now, regarding this and honoring events that have happened, v'chayit The Rambam says we have to look into our hearts and souls what we can do ourselves and what we can do to help others in dealing with this. because we're all in the, we're all dealing with this situation. Because at the end we're all in this together. The pain of one person is the pain of us all. The loss of one person is a loss for all of us. A soul is inestimable. It's a piece of the divine. And if our life is valuable, every person's life is valuable. So if one person's life is compromised, we are all in some way compromised. So we need to look at this as a personal issue, even if it's not a direct family member. But we're all family, at the end of the day, all children of God, as the Altareb explains in Patek of Tanya. Okay. Now, there's more to talk about on this topic... I wanted to discuss parents and children. I, have, I can't tell you how many questions and comments came in after last week's program. That short question that was asked about how can I improve my relationship with my father who only values me for my spiritual life and not for my physical life, not for my basically the humane dimension of the relationship. I can, one, two, three, at least 20 responses that came in on that. So I want to address it, but I see time is limited. So I will do that hopefully next week. But before I continue, I want to say one final thing about the topic. I go back to the Sefer HaGu'ula that we are uh, beginning this week, Sefer shmais. It couldn't be more relevant to this topic, because that's what's telling us what's happening in, in Mitzrayim. What happened in Mitzrayim then is happening now in our own mini-Mitzrayims. And yet, we always see all these as stepping stones toward Gu'ula. The darkest of the dark leads to the Gu'ula. We have to know how to translate that to individuals. Geula doesn't just mean the geula mitzvah that's the big set picture, but also on a small picture, a geula from your own demons, a redemption from and freeing yourself, emancipation from those forces that dark forces. When a person learns tefillah and learns chassidus, that brings light into your soul. Is it again the magic pill? But it's part of it. It's like the Rebbe says about about, Mifzah Mezuzah. A Mezuzah protects. That doesn't mean guarantees. It means like a helmet. You wear a helmet, it lowers the odds of being struck, God forbid. Bring light into your life. Bring light into the life of our children and our family members through not just learning a a aze, but to learn it in a way that's relevant, that's personal. Talk about, learn about simpsum. Learn about Cheshek, and why God created darkness, and that darkness really is a form of light. Kola eseg betedus and betedus Eir is kiilu. That's what the Gemara says. When you learn something, it's as if you're doing it. So if you learn about the subject of darkness and you learn about the subject of light, you're bringing God's wisdom and God's guidance and God's blueprint blueprint of why He created these things in the first place. They have to have impact on an neshama. The more you can do that, that's in taita The same thing in Aveda, through davening. Aveda Shabalev, giving people a method of how to daven, how to express their hearts, even their darkness of their hearts. Bring your darkness to God. Offer it. Cry out. And finally, in the third kav, the third ummah, the pillar, G'milas Chasadim. When you show love, you elicit love. And love is a force that challenges and counters any form of darkness. So here's a three-pronged method of that each of us can do. On Thursday night, in the program, I mentioned as well that every morning and every evening, besides just telling your children I love you, teach them from the earliest age, from day one, Thank you, Hashem. Thank you. Thank you for giving me my soul, for returning my soul to me. Thank you for making me indispensable, for giving me a mission that I and, no, and only I can accomplish in this world, for giving me the strength to accomplish it. Part of the mission may also be going through some darker moments. Imagine saying this to our children, saying it with our children every day, every day, how much can it preempt? Not just in the most extreme, even other issues of insecurities and fears. And for sure, it's the opposite message of critique and judgment and condescension and trying to force our children to be someone who they're not. And looking at ourselves, it's all about us, the parents and educators trying to impose our perspective. No, nurturing their souls. Feeding, nourishing, nourishing teaching them that they are here as God's agents, indispensable lives. This and many, many other things can be done. We have to include that into all other measures. Professionals, mental health field and other fields are making their suggestions, but there's no doubt we have a Torah, we have God's Torah, we have Chassidus. It came to help us in all circumstances, definitely the ones that are the more trying ones and dire situations like the ones we're discussing right now. Okay. So, let me, and we should never have to speak about this again. May these words alone really solve all the issues. At least Hashem should see our prayers, our hopes, and help us preempt anything that may ever happen. That nothing ever again should happen. Like Sokhum Maim, we should only have good news, Simchis Beteva Nirvan Nigla, in a revealed, openly revealed level, revealed even to us. Let me go to the this question and then I'll go to the essays because that's what we have time for. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, in chapter 12 of Tanya, it was a Chitas, a few days ago, uh, just, recent, just this past few days ago, the Al Tareb explains that a Beinni is someone that has complete control of his machshava, dibera thought, speech, and action, and only uses them for mitzvahs. In the end of the chapter 12, he brings the Maimar razal, that says, every person it says, e- Every person transgresses three Averis each day, and this includes a Baini, since the Baini has improper thoughts coming to his mind. Yerhuri Aveda is one of them, improper thoughts. My question is, based on the Maim azal that the Baini clearly does have Averis every day, because it says, Ein nitzel. No person is protected from these inadvertent thoughts, especially since improper thoughts are worse than the actual Aveda, as the Altar Rebbe says there. So how do, do we reconcile both statements, that a Baini never... Didn't Aveda never will do with these three thoughts, the the, the, Gimla Avedas, these three sins that every person has each day? Isn't the end of the chapter contradicting the beginning of the chapter? This question has bothered me for years and never found an answer. I'd love to hear your answer. Thank you for your effort you put into these weekly broadcasts or weekly episodes. Your staunch supporter. Okay. The answer is quite obvious, but let me spell it out. And Al Tadab even just explains it. Of course, he's not going to contradict himself. Kimla Aveda's, Sheinod Nislam Ham include Hirhud Aveda. Dvorim, I should say. One of them is <speaking in> hirhudi <Hebrew> Aveda, thoughts of it. So he explains <speaking in> Hirhud <Hebrew> Aveda means inadvertent thoughts. That, because he's a Benani, even a Benani, that he cannot control because the Nefesh Abamis is alive within him. We're not talking about a tzadik. A tzadik doesn't have that. But a baini has that. But it never becomes part of his being. He never, never willingly chooses, like he says, which means the willpower. It's inadvertent. That's due to nefesh abamis. But he willingly never embraces it and never allows it to impact him. That's why he's a benini. So it's not a contradiction. It says "le'over is talking about a willingly, in some, in a, in a direct way, with his racham. If he would dwell on these hirudim, these hirudim come, and he would allow it to become part of his being, thought, speech, or action, then you have a question. But that's part of the nefesh abamis, the animal soul that he has no control over. He can't control his animal soul, shooting inadvertent thoughts like that his way but he can control whether he's going to dwell on them in any particular fashion. And that's what he says, Machshavah, not even one second, does he have the and Shebemechi, he does not even for one moment allow himself to dwell on these, on these thoughts. So the thoughts have impact, yes, but it does not mean he has to willingly embrace it or willingly affect him. So that's essentially the explanation in the tanya." What impact does it have? It has the impact that the nefesh Abbas has, even on a on a At the end of the day, he's still not a tzaddik. But his machshava deber means his, what is under his control, it's completely under his control. The Rebbe explains just to add: control means at this moment he's in a state of being where he's totally in control, which would explain how you can, how can everybody midas kolodom, when we see people who have done Avedas, how, how can they become a Baini once they did one Aveda, they're already disqualified. So the Rebbe says it's a state of being that when you're in that state, it's as if you never did one as and as if you never will do one. Which is another discussion, but I just wanted to throw that in. Okay. Now let's go to the essays. Time is limited here, so let's go to the essays. This is the 6th annual essay in Creative... Hasidus Applied Contest. So we're doing now the 10th place essays and creative. Okay, first one is the essay in English, 10th place Irrelevant Micromanagement by Chaya Rifkin, age 19, student at Machon Shashanat Yerushalayim, hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana. So this is exactly as the name implies of uh, not getting how to, how to deal with details in our lives in a, in, a crea- in a holy way, in a divine way, and not in an in a unhealthy way where you get obsessed with the details. Very solid essay, which you can see on chesidussupply.com. You can find all these essays. Essay number two, the, 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 the tenth place in Hebrew, men, Nichitut upitrona apiteris achesidus. Shlema Chaim Beit Shan, Israel. This essay is exactly again the name about feeling, feeling, uh, feeling inferior, and how to deal with the solution of inferior feelings on, through chassidus that gives you the self confidence necessary to get through any challenge. The 10th place essay for women is Lichiz el Elokit, To Live with Divine Consciousness, Chana Liebman, Rishon in Israel, a very beautiful essay which can be seen at dirilei.org, the Hebrew Essays. And finally, the creative essay, Torah Map. It's a map of the entire structure of Torah, so it goes in the category of maps, a creative presentation. Anthony Ben Susan, 863, London, UK. Okay, with this we conclude, My Life Chesed Applied, episode 338. Again, only good news, only simchis. The Al the Barambam and the and Shomis and Astalkus serve us well and poel Yeshua is of Yeshua in the darkest and the deepest Gaulis, personally and collectively. And we march to the Gula Hamitis Vashlema. This has been My Life Khasidis Applied every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chasidis Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupply.com slash donate.